if we kept working under this dominant economic system, under our dominant systems, that for us were meaning poverty, displacement, and and eventually death, that our existence would cease. And so we decided that we needed to look back and follow the steps and paths and lessons of our grandparents and our ancestors. We needed to remember our practices and our history in order for us to build a way forward from that. Hey everyone, Kat here from We Rise. And once again, this episode is a collaboration with my beloved First Voice Apprenticeship Program at KPFA in Huchin, occupied Ohlone Territory or Berkeley, California. That was the voice of one of the guests on this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Let's get into it. Full circle, yes, we rotate 360 degrees. High, high, 360 degrees. High, high, 306, 306, 360 degrees. High, high, Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. The show is written, produced, and is broadcasting from Huchin, Ohlone territory known to settlers as the Bay Area. I'm Kat Petru, graduate apprentice of Group 42 or Fortitude, and I'll be your host for the hour. So much love and gratitude to my First Voice fam. So this week is Thanksgiving or Thanksgiving as it's been called in this country. And today, of course, is Black Friday. And so on tonight's show, we're going to take a critical look at our economic system through the lens of a circle of voices from the Buen Vivir Fund. That's Buen Vivir in Spanish, and we'll define that as we get into the show. We'll have voices from across the country and also in Guatemala. So thanks so much for tuning in. Keep it locked. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Full Circle here on KPFA 94.1 FM or kpfa.org. I'm your host, Kat Petru, graduate apprentice from Group 42. And since I graduated, I've actually started a podcast called We Rise. So also welcome to podcast listeners tuning in. So as mentioned, tonight's show takes a critical look at our economic status quo and the systems that uphold it, particularly through the lens of impact investing. And on this show, we have experts who are all in some way, shape, or form part of the Buen Vivir Fund. And we will define what this is on the show, but just to give you an idea, the Buen Vivir Fund seeks to promote financial models and practices that support communities' holistic well-being, as opposed to focusing solely on maximizing individuals' capital accumulation. So what on earth does this mean? We'll get into it. Just a few housekeeping items. One is that one of our guests, Milian, is calling in from Guatemala. And so another of our guests, Joanna, will be speaking on her own behalf, but also interpreting for Milian. So you'll hear her voice in both ways. Also, Joanna is a new mama, 
and she has her little baby son with her. So you may hear him throughout the broadcast. This is indeed about community and relationships. So it's totally appropriate for him to be part of this. And lastly, our conversation was recorded on Dia de los Muertos. And you'll hear we talk a lot about ancestry and remembrance. And so that felt like a particularly auspicious date to record. And it's airing the day after Thanksgiving or Thanksgiving, as some call it. And today, of course, is Black Friday. And so we're a reminder to study our history and know the roots of these days to perceive with more clarity the times in which we're living. So without further ado, I would love for each of you to introduce yourselves in just any way you see fit to introduce yourselves, and please do include your name and your relationship with the work. I'm Gayathri. I am the newest team member on this fund, and um, I come with a very mainstream, I have over uh, 14, 15 years of mainstream finance in investing, consulting, risk advisory work, and also assurance work. And um, the last role I did was in tech investing, but also from a fund. Um, and what I'm doing here at Buen Viver, I joined as a fellow, basically, to research this new way of impact investing. Thank you. Nina, can you share next? Hi, my name is Nina Robinson, and I am also a Buen Vivir Fund Fellow. Um, very excited, two months in, and I have been working um, at the intersection of money and impact investing and social justice, primarily here in the Bay Area. So this will be an expanded view on uh, on the work. Thank you. And um, Joanna? Hi, my name is Joanna Levitsea, and I'm the director of the Buen Vivir Fund. And I've been with the organization Thousand Currents, which is the home of the Buen Vivir Fund, since 2015. And for about 15 years now, I've been working on international investment and how we can make it more accountable and supportive to local people's true aspirations for their own development and their own communities. Thank you. And last and not least, Milvian, por favor. Hola todas. Hi, everyone. My name is Milvian Aspuac. I am a Mayan Cachiquel woman from Guatemala, from the area of Sacatapeques, and I help lead the organization. The acronym is AFEDES. In Spanish, it's the Asociación Femenina para el Desarrollo de Sacatapeques. It's the Women's Association for the Development of Sacatapeques, and I'm also one of the founding members of the Buen Vivir Fund. Thank you. And also for listeners, soon we will have another participant joining us named Kate Poole, and she's from Regenerative Finance, so she can introduce herself when she hops on um, the conversation. So can we just start out by talking about who is Thousand Currents? Sure. Thousand Currents is an organization that's based in Oakland in the Bay Area, but has staff all over the world. We're a team of just over 20, and Thousand Currents has been around for over 30 years and we're quite um, an unusual creature in the nonprofit and foundation world because we um, kind of do a hybrid of things. Thousand Currents fundamentally does two different things. One is we make grants, we, we share funding resources with visionary grassroots organizations in Asia, Latin America and Africa, groups who are developing really important solutions in areas like food sovereignty, 
climate resilience and alternative economy, developing solutions that we need to lift up as examples and teachers for all of us on how we can live on earth more sustainably and justly. So we support that work. And then the second thing we do is we work in very genuine partnership with these groups, with our grantees to together reimagine how sharing money can work better. Grant making, aid, philanthropy, um, and now also investment. How can we reimagine and rebuild systems for sharing financial resources so that they better support the leadership of grassroots groups who are developing the solutions we need. Mm-hmm. So then what is the One Vivir Fund? So Thousand Currents has this long history already of thinking about how we can reimagine sharing money and resources in better service to grassroots-led change on planet Earth. And the Buen Vivir Fund comes from this tradition. So starting about three years ago, our staff of Thousand Currents received a very clear call to action and challenge from our grassroots partners, which was that, okay, y'all have been doing some great work with us, creating better ways for grant making and helping to shift practice in the philanthropic sector widely to promote better practices in grant making. And now what about this tidal wave of resources that we're seeing come up, which is what is being called impact investment. And we'll talk about more today on the show what that is. But um, we had a call to action to help think about how can Thousand Currents with our partners also demonstrate some ways forward for how investing can be in service of community-led change. Yeah, so maybe to add to that, think of it like what Thousand Currents has been doing all this time to the nonprofit philanthropic world. Basically, when we wear fun is trying to do that in the impact investing world, changes of practices and how we think about um, investing or impact investing. So two things, two points to highlight in um, what the, uh, the Buen Viver Fund is doing is that one, it is really about learning from indigenous and grassroots groups about their very effective ways of sharing resources and lifting up those um, practices at a global level um, impact fund. So it is not prescriptive, it is uh, participatory. And the other thing is rethinking the role of investors or financial investors. So it is not only about creating positive impact for the grassroots groups or the investees, but also sparking learnings, um, new skills, and knowledge transfer that transfers up to the financial investors in this equation. And then Nina or Milian, do you want to add on? So the very name of the fund, the Buen Vivir, basically comes from a concept from Latin American indigenous movements that implies right living, which really means living in balance with community, with ecological systems and future generations. And it is not just uh, a destination. It's a process and it's a way of being. And I think Milvian might even be able to add more to this point, too. The Buen Vivir Fund is something that brings this concept of Buen Vivir to all of us who are part of it. In Guatemala, and we understand that Buen Vivir is a very profound concept and one that we strive to understand in our day-to-day. And in Buen Vivir Fund, we 
as a fund, try to support and bring well-being to the projects that all of us are working on, whether those are grassroots groups in Guatemala or other countries involved, or whether those are the projects of the investors in the U.S. and elsewhere. And with when we read for many of people when they speak of it, it is something abstract or like a dream. But with When We Were Fund, we are making it real. We are making it an everyday practice of how we create this. And we do so in the fund following principles and kind of a logic that we have agreed on as to how we work together and support projects. And so to me, this is one of the most innovative and important things about the fund is that we are daring to make real right now something that is so often just talked about as um, something abstract. So I have something to add here, which is basically like being the newest member on the team, kind of why the word Buen Viver resonates with me. So two things. One, although the word Buen Viver here is unique to Latin America, the concept is not. I just found out from another team member, Rajiv, um, he said that in Africa, the word Ubuntu also kind of means the same thing. It, it translates to I am because you are. And the other thing that really resonates with me coming from a mainstream place is that the concept of when we were, you don't, if you're expecting, it's, it's a journey, right? If you're expecting a positive outcome, the process on getting there also matters. So like our meetings, our day-to-day -day, um, interactions, conversations that we have. Um, how we take notes, everything matters. So it's that journey that really kind of contrasts from my previous role. So it's interesting. For me, something else that's important to point out about Buen Vivir Fund is it's a fund that has decided to break the rules, that has decided to, to function according to other rules in terms of what we focus on and even how people traditionally understand risk. And with Buen Vivir Fund, everyone in the fund, grassroots members and investors, have decided to face head-on the risks that may come and to share them together, and in that way make the risk less for each member. And something else important with Buen Vivir Fund is the way that it requires courage from each member because all of us are not, are not only, and this is my baby son who's here with us for a minute, it requires all of us to be courageous and to take responsibility. And we know that when we each give our best to supporting the projects and to meeting the risks, that that helps everyone come out ahead and come out with well-being. And we all share responsibility for making the projects and making the fund as a whole work well. This is beautiful. And what you're speaking to and what Gayatri was sharing as well about coming from mainstream really is a, a beautiful segue into the next question I wanted to ask, which is to provide a bit more information about the economic context of this work and the even the global economic context, because this is a global fund. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a lot of talk about building the new economy. And it's important for us to recognize that the new economy cannot totally be new. We must also lift up the traditional practices of indigenous groups and other people from all around the world that have been innovating and fine-tuning these practices, sharing wealth, building co-op structures, um, and really centering well-being 
for centuries, for centuries. And so we really want to combine that wisdom with the innovations and learn from each other and build something that really does represent Buen Vivir. Um, and so the practices around investment, I mean, many of the fun, many of our investments are going to organizations that are in turn investing in their local community, and they have the wisdom to know how to do that in a way that makes sense for those communities. So we really just want to build on the practices that are there. I'm wondering if Milvian wants to share about the, the global economic context and specifically how she's experiencing it in Guatemala. For our case in Guatemala, I can share with you some of the context for the global economy in which we find ourselves situated. Something important to understand about Guatemala is that our population is essentially made up of four different peoples. The, the Mestizo people, the Mayan people, Garafuna, and the Xinca. And about 60% of our population is Maya. And Maya peoples, we have our own and our very distinct cosmovision, like a worldview. We have this distinct worldview in terms of how we see life in our territories, in terms of how we see how the world works and how all the elements of life work together. And the worldview that we have is very different from the Western worldview. And these often clash. And in terms of economic worldview, the Mayan worldview that comes from our cosmovision is very different from the Western economic worldview, and especially the neoliberal economic worldview that predominates. And when these ones clash or crash, the one that tends to dominate is this Western neoliberal capitalism. And for us as Mayan people, the imposition of this form of economy makes our situation worse in terms of what we're facing because there are real kinds of poverty and struggle happening among our people and the vision that is imposed from the western economic view is one of an economy based on a sense that there is a necessity that you have to exploit everything that you can that can generate money so you are exploiting everything you can to make money. It doesn't matter if you have to destroy and dam a river. It doesn't matter if you have to violate human rights. The only thing that is important is money. But for our Mayan worldview, we value the whole web of life. Each element, the stones, the animals, the rivers, the lakes, the mountains, everything for us in this worldview has life. And we value every thing that has life, including human beings. And we value finding ways to operate in our day-to-day -day so that these elements don't fight amongst themselves, but rather can exist in harmony with one another. And I think it suffices to say that Western capitalism does not consider this question or really understand it. So for us, we see that their Western neoliberal capitalism doesn't value these things and in fact wants to displace us to make way for extraction to generate money. So how do we face this as Mayan people? There's something that we say, we say that the future has already happened and we mean this in our worldview literally, but also our grandparents and our ancestors have lived many challenges before that we need to learn from. So 
we are trying to learn from things we inherit from our peoples and our past in terms of how we can escape from the economic crisis that is facing our country and our people today. And what the dominant system in Guatemala right now is often pushing, including with Mayan women, is they see as the silver bullet, the way out of poverty is economic growth, you know, always focus on economic growth. And it's all about enterprise and entrepreneurship. And often even that's women's entrepreneurship and projects. And they want to support any project that generates income. It doesn't matter what the other impacts of that project may be, whether it's good from the environment or other people. If it generates income, it is good and it is helping us escape from poverty. But I guess the last thing I want to say about the context here is that for us as Mayan people, we are interested in enterprise and entrepreneurship, but it is from a perspective that you could almost say, rather than being focused on economic growth, we are focused on economic degrowth, or we are focused on an economy that is trying to remember, that is trying to revive and bring back practices and balance and that we know we have to look back and learn from the past in order to meet the challenges that face us now and in the future. And so enterprise and entrepreneurship can be part of this and part of helping us escape from crisis and poverty, but it is done with our own distinct approach and worldview. Wow. Joanna, thank you for translating all of that. It's so important that Muvian's words are understood by folks who don't speak Spanish. You've been listening to Full Circle on 94.1 FM KPFA and also We Rise, the podcast. I'm your host, Kat Petru, and we're going to take a quick music break. We'll be right back with more conversation. Be Careful by Cumbia de Valle du Par. And this is Full Circle on KPFA's 94.1 FM. I'm your host, Kat Petru, and you may also be tuning in from We Rise. Thanks so much for listening. Let's get back to the conversation. Before we jump to the next question, 
which um, I want Gayatri to have a chance to talk a bit about the history of impact investing. But I'd like to take this opportunity for um, Milvian to share a few things. One is just to describe the work of Afedes, which I think she did a bit, but just if she wanted to add anything. But also, it's just so prescient right now to be having this conversation given the um, earthquake that happened in Guatemala um, several months ago during the summer, which can be connected with global climate catastrophe and global warming that is spurred on by empires, by empire, by U.S. empire in particular. And then also we're hearing a lot in the news right now about these so-called caravans leaving Central America. And of course, our president is being completely racist and absurd and obscene and violent about it in his words. But um, just if she wants to tie together the impact of neoliberal Western capitalism in the politics and economy in Guatemala and how she and Afedes, just to put that in context with this work, does that make sense? My organization, AFEDES, the Women's Association of, for the Development of Sacatepeques, we are an organization of women, and we came together first as an organization in 1988. And we are about developing alternative proposals for our lives and our community. And one of our objectives, and it's the one that really links us to Buen Vivir Fund because it's a shared objective, is recognizing that the economic system that dominates in our global economy right now is not an economic system that was designed for us. It is a system that actually is designed to enhance inequality. It's designed to accumulate more and more to those that already have more and to leave with less and less those who currently have little. And as we started reflecting about the world around us and what we wanted to do with AFEDES, that question enabled us to sit down together as women and reflect, what do we want to do? What are our priorities as women, as communities? And what is it that is most at risk? What do we see that are the deepest crises in terms of what we feel? What are crises that we may be facing and seeing in our communities, even if those are crises that are not really recognized in the mainstream? So as we reflected, we realized that perhaps the biggest crisis from our experience was what we called an existential crisis, but in the literal way that our very existence was in danger. Because if we kept working under this dominant economic system, under our dominant systems that for us were meaning poverty, displacement, and, and eventually death, that our existence would cease. And so we decided that we needed to look back and follow the steps and paths and lessons of our grandparents and our ancestors. We needed to remember our practices and our history in order for us to build a way forward from that. So as a FEDES, we decided to focus on several themes. We decided we wanted to produce our own food, 
we saw ways we could bring back traditional medicine, our clothing, our weaving, our language. And in fact, we organized those around four elements that we see are the critical things that help us to achieve freedom and self-determination as peoples. And so those four things are food sovereignty, the producing our own food, It is traditional medicine, bringing back our own medicinal values and care and clothing and weaving, and it is bringing back our language and that those are the four things we know that will underpin our strong resilience. And these flow together into the three objectives of a FEDIS, and they are all about autonomy and self-determination. So it's physical autonomy, economic autonomy and political autonomy. And I want to just say to you a bit about what each of those things mean in the day-to-day -day so you can understand our work. So we said, what does physical autonomy mean for us as Mayan women and Mayan peoples and communities? And it means everything from our action to our attitude to our thinking to our bodies is autonomous. So in terms of what we do in our work, we do trainings, we do um, coming together and learning about our rights, about our cultural knowledge, about us deciding on our own rights to determine what we think, feel, and do. It's our right to have our own voice. It's also autonomy over our own bodies. It's our autonomy to do self-care as we need to and to take care of each other as we want to. So this is one of the reasons we focus so much on bringing back traditional medicine, because we know that the well-being of our bodies is at the center and of our ability to be well and strong as people. So we've had a big focus on that. This area of work also surfaced over time problems with violence against women in our community, and we have worked to heal this as well under this framework of physical autonomy for all our people. And just a bit about economic autonomy and political. For us, economic autonomy in practice means building alternative economies of resistance. So growing our own food, that's a form of resistance. We also have taken huge strides to bring back our own clothing and our own weaving and the rich knowledge and technology that we've had for thousands of years around that. We're recovering our identity through our weavings. And in the way that we work on food and weaving, we recognize that if in the mainstream version of neoliberal capitalism, it's all about exploiting manual labor and other kinds of labor, that we need to do it in a different way how we take care of ourselves in our economic production and also how we care for our earth. And that when we produce extra, we can decide how we want to share and sell and exchange and even barter among ourselves. So yes, we're generating money, but we're not doing it according to the conventional ways. We're doing it according to our own values and approach to economy. And last, um, we work on political autonomy. So what do we mean here? It's in two ways. We create our own political systems. So amongst our communities, we've really strengthened the way that we step into different leadership roles. We're forming councils. There's an elders council. There's youth councils. We're creating our own groups to strengthen leadership and direction within our people. And then we also are engaging with the state. We're making proposals to change and create new laws that can help protect and advance our well-being. So 
through all this, you ask what a FEDES does, and this is what we do. Really, all of it at the root is it's showing people that there are other ways to live and be, and that we can do that. We just have to retake our own roots and go from there. Thank you, Milian. So as promised, I wanted to offer listeners a little bit of context about the history of impact investing. So Gayatri, can you please share who has defined it, who typically gives, and who and what typically have benefited historically? Sure. So this is going to sound very textbook after everything Milbian just said, (laughs) but Impact investing, um, just defining it in a very textbook sense, basically means investments made with the intention to generate positive, measurable social and environmental impact alongside financial returns. So the financial returns can be market rate, and a lot of investors insist on it, and it can be below market rate. The concept of impact investing, if not the term, has been around a while, starting from the 70s. SRIs, which are basically socially responsible investing. Microfinance is another term that was used also starting from the 70s. Uh, CDFIs, um, which is basically community development financial institutions, also around 1977. And then you have um, CSR, which came up circa... 1990s, and then currently there's ESG, and then impact investing. So impact investing, um, there's some confusion on who exactly coined it. We were discussing it earlier too. But I think the general consensus is that around 2007, uh, the Rockefeller Foundation uh, coined the term impact investing, and it's kind of taken that history. So what is the important concept of this impact investing is that There are currently about $210 trillion of private capital out there that can potentially be used to invest in social and environmental purposes. And how we think about it is money to be influenced. So who are the people or actors in the impact investing world right now? So you can kind of categorize them to asset owners who are like governments, um, high net worth individuals, corporations, the asset managers, the fund managers, the VCs, the pension funds or the sovereign wealth funds, those are the asset managers. And then on the demand side, you have the social enterprises, the corporations, the ones that need the money. And then in that whole ecosystem also, you have the service providers, consulting firms, standard setting firms like GIN and capacity development providers, accelerators, and so on. In recent years, uh, there is a growing number of large commercial asset managers and also other financial firms and enterprises even moving to set up their own funds in impact investing. Salesforce started their own one end of 2017, which is a $50 million fund. But one important thing I think that underlies all of this is that, and also ties back to what Milvian just said and what we were talking about before, is that uh, most of these impact funds or impact investing funds or vehicles that are currently out there are modeled after dominant and mainstream financial systems, which is the Western neoliberal capitalism. And the Buen Viver Fund, we are kind of challenging that and rethinking that whole concept. So I just wanted to bring it back to that Buen Viver Fund in all of that context. Absolutely. Thank you. So I agree that it is a bit strange to hear that technical 
language after what Milian shared. And, and it made me think of something that I just wanted to share briefly, which is that in 2010, a trio of researchers from the University of British Columbia published a paper where they have this acronym WEIRD. I don't know if anyone's heard of it, but WEIRD stands for... I have. <laughs> um, so I'll just say for listeners, WEIRD stands for Western educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. And I just really appreciate the acronym because then it does put into stark relief Milvian's discussion of, of her community's values and the way that they put that into practice versus like this really strange way of understanding wealth and value and all of that. And also, I forget even now the number that you said, but like I have no comprehension. It was something trillion? 210 trillion no comprehension of what that even means. And I appreciate you sharing a bit about the critique of impact investing. And we'll definitely get into before we wrap up more about why are we still using that term and how are you doing it differently, which I think has already been made pretty abundantly clear. But before all of that, we have another person on the line with us. Kate, welcome. Thanks. Hi. <laughs> Kate's secretly been listening for a little while now. Can you just please introduce yourself and, and share with us your relationship to this work? Yeah, sure. My name's Kate Poole, and I'm an investor and an investment advisor. My firm's called Cordata Capital Investment with a Backbone. And I inherited wealth from my family, and I connected with the Buen Vivir Fund because a collective of young inheritors I worked with, uh, Regenerative Finance. I don't, I'm not sure exactly why, but I think Joanna had reached out to us about the Buen Vivir Fund and about this new form of investing they were putting together. And we were really eager to participate and be a part of the co-design process and to invest. Can you share what is uh, Regenerative Finance? Regenerative Finance I mean, I think there's all these there's all of these uh, ways that people describe like moving investment capital, and regenerative is kind of a word that's come into favor maybe over the last year or two. But basically, what we were talking about when we talked about regenerative finance was investing more wealth into communities than you're pulling out, and really uh, investing in a different way where you're fully in support of you know the communities and people you're investing in. Cool. Not a great description of it. Um, but basically, it's like people with wealth actually supporting the communities and projects that they invest in in as full a way as possible. You've been listening to Full Circle on 94.1 FM KPFA and also We Rise, the podcast. I'm your host, Kat Petru, and we're going to take a quick music break. We'll be right back with more conversation.
Welcome back to Full Circle on KPFA 94.1 FM, kpfa.org, or the We Rise podcast. That was Caballito Nocturno by Juanaco y su Combo. I'm your host, Kat Petru, and on tonight's show, I have guests from the Buen Vivir Fund. We are taking a critical look at impact investing and at the economic status quo and how we can call into question our various relationships with accumulative wealth, inheritance, and responsibility for caring for one another and for this earth. So let's return to the conversation. So this might be a good segue into talking about the importance of relationship building and relationships in general in the work of Wenvivir. Maybe Nina, if you want to share any more critique of impact investing, and then we can talk about the centrality of relationships in Wenvivir and in general in challenging the economic status quo. Sure. So yeah, we have a lot of criticism around the traditional impact investing because a lot of it centers around this notion of doing well by doing good. And that's kind of a paradox because most of these communities have been deeply harmed by the traditional financial systems. And so there's a lot of criticism. You know, Anand Girdardas just wrote a book called Winners Take All. Rodney Foxworth just wrote a really beautiful article, which really talks about the paradox of not addressing the root causes of extreme concentration of power, wealth, and privilege, and how we can't just put a Band-Aid on these issues and deal with the symptoms. We actually have to talk about shifting resources and building wealth in these communities and not just putting Band-Aids on them. And so, so much of the work of Buen Vivir is about shifting power. When you look at the co-design process, everyone's perspective and everyone's contribution is equal and we don't place any higher value on the financial. And I'm sure Kate can say more about that as well. Thank you. Yeah, Kate, do you want to add on? Yeah, totally. I think part of what was different about the work of regenerative finance and resource generation and these other groups that are mobilizing young people with wealth is this recognition that a lot of the wealth in the United States, especially white wealth, was built through systems of oppression and violence, built through white supremacy, built through extraction of wealth from poor communities and communities of color. And so the thrust of the work, like the reason we got into investing work was to shift wealth and power and as an act of like return and repair and healing. A lot of the investors that we were organizing are thinking about reparations and what does reparations look like in terms of both the giving and investing that they can do with the resources they've inherited. And on the relationship side, I think that often investors never meet the communities or the people that they're investing in. In impact investing, there's all these intermediaries or funds or um, mutual funds, all these other financial vehicles that are created to distance investors from the people who are being invested in. And with the Buen Vivir Fund, it's such a powerful shift to be able to come together and see each other and really understand if I'm asking for a 5% interest return on this investment, how does that affect the communities that we're investing in? Um, and Ari Sahagun, another member of Regenerative Finance who was at the gathering, uh, the initial gathering for the Buenos Aires Fund, she really pushed for, like, do these foundations and inheritors need to receive 
interest back? Like, what does interest mean? Like, can we just make a loan at 0% interest? What would that look like and what would that mean? Right. Actually, you just started to answer, I think, the question that just popped up in my head, which is if the work is truly about reparations and another frame would be healing, intergenerational healing or being accountable to ancestral violence, would it be ethical then to ask for anything back? And if not, then what do you do at Buen Vivir? So maybe Kate, you can respond and then, and then anyone from BV can also chime in. Sure. I would say that for people that have inherited wealth and are thinking about reparations, it's powerful to give wealth away and to shift power to a community so they can control those resources and decide what reparations looks like. I think with the Buen Vizier Fund, because that trillion number, because there's so much money in impact investing, I think it can be really strategic to say, if you're going to do investing and you want to get that investment back, what does non-extractive investment look like? And that's where I really see Buen Vizier Fund innovating in the space is saying, okay, well, if this is going to be an investment and not a gift, what does that look like? And how can that be nourishing to the communities? When I think about reparations, um, one of the frameworks that I look to a lot is like Ed Whitfield from Fund for Democratic Communities talks about reparations as restoring the economic sovereignty that a community has over the local economy. And so investment can be a powerful tool to kind of seed these community-controlled loan funds and to build like uh, control over the local economy. I want to share about like what what is the Buen Vivir Fund response to that important question you asked of if if we're recognizing that a lot of the accumulated wealth in today's economy is based on a history of extraction many times from communities of color and low-income communities and extraction from our earth what does that mean we should do in terms of return? What kind of return should investors get? And this was a very rich question for us in the Buen Vivir Fund. And and um, the way that we designed the Buen Vivir Fund was starting with a blank slate and inviting a circle of people to join in a co-design process. So we had 10 grassroots groups who are longtime partners of Thousand Currents and eight really thoughtful investors to come together and, and co-design together. What could an investment fund look like that actually is in service of Buen Vivir? And the question you asked was one of the trickiest ones for us. Like, what what should we do with return? Because also, we wanted to be really clear that this isn't charity. This isn't a grant fund. These aren't groups that just need grant capital. These are groups who are doing really groundbreaking, badass economic initiatives. They're running successful businesses and funds and they are generating economic prosperity. They're doing it hand in hand with community power and well-being, but we wanted a fund that in its way of working would demonstrate this This isn't just charity. This is actually a viable economic model. And what we've come to with the Buen Vivir Fund is this. So financial investors in the fund, right? Everyone is an investor. Everyone puts in different kinds of resources, but some of the groups are financial investors. Their financial investment will be returned. Like if, if projects go well, it is a pretty um, reliable investment that you will have 100% of your principal returned. Your investment is distributed across the many projects. 
across multiple countries in which Buen Vivir Fund invests. And we expect that capital to be returned, and it's returned in a spirit of solidarity to the fund. If catastrophic events happen, like a huge storm or a massive economic upheaval, events that are really out of the hands of the groups, we have a commitment as a fund to shoulder that risk and that loss collectively because those are losses that happen because of our global system. So I won't go into it now, but we have a whole protocol too of how we manage with loss and inability to return and how we differentiate between causes of loss that are outside of our hands versus causes that we might be able to course correct and get a project back on track. Um, So investors receive their financial principal back and they receive a wealth of Buen Vivir returns and experiential returns. So by Buen Vivir returns, we mean the benefits that the project creates. Like, it, you know, we have a project, um, one of the groups, Edupas in Chiapas, Mexico, has their own fund, which is investing in over 40 projects that are all contributing to soil health and resilience of the ecosystem and forests of that area of Chiapas. In a very real sense, that ecology getting strengthened benefits all of us around the world long term. Mm -hmm. So Buen Vivir Fund recognizes that. And also the investors' participation in Buen Vivir Fund, we guarantee really powerful learning that equips you with new practices and new insights and new friendships and relationships that you can bring back to your other work in other areas. So we are already seeing a number of our financial investors have made some pretty big and in some cases, dramatic changes to how they manage their investment portfolios, how they design application and due diligence processes in their other investing because of what they are learning and the way they're building their capacity, learning from one another, and in particular, the grassroots partners in the Buen Vivir Fund, of how we can share money in ways that brings more balance and joy. And guess what? The Buen Vivir Fund doesn't just return principal, it grows because each group in the fund commits, each group that borrows financial capital commits to returning principal and making an additional contribution above and beyond principal that we call aporte. It's a Spanish word, so it's a practice we are borrowing from one of the indigenous groups in Mexico. And aporte is like a solidarity contribution. So you return principal and based on the abundance and well-being of your project, you self-determine an additional amount over and above principle that you return to Buen Vivir Fund, that you gift to the fund. But that extra doesn't go back to financial investors. Yeah, the financial investors just get principle. That extra stays in the fund to build the resilience and the abundance of the fund for future groups. Mm. So it is a way that the growth is passed on to future generations. So our, our hope with Buen Vivir Fund is when you look at the numbers over time, that it will have a pretty strong track record of return and of growth, but that we're being very intentional in terms of with whom and how we share that growth. That is so helpful. Thank you for explaining that. We are indeed near the end of our time together, so I would just love to ask if there is anything that any of you feel is really vital to share right now. I just wanted to maybe make a connection to what Joanna was saying in terms of 100% return to investors versus what a mainstream VC would look look like in terms of, you know, return. 50% 
or more of VCs get less than one X of their return. And VC is venture capitalist. Venture capitalist. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a that's a big distinction. Like less than one X is less than hundred percent, right? So you're you're putting in one dollar, you're getting maybe sixty cents or fifty cents or whatever. So it's it's a huge difference in the VC world when you think about it that way, comparing it to when we very where you are going to get your money back. So the risk, if you think about it, it's kind of, yeah. The financial risk. That's yes. fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else? Final words, final um, connecting the dots. Kate, any words to say to investors out there? Yeah, I would say as investors are moved by this project, there's lots of ways that they can shift the terms of their investment. Joanna was alluding to the ways that financial investors in Buenos Aires Fund have changed how they do due diligence and how they decide what their investing practices look like. And people can check out, maybe you can even link some of the learnings that have been put together from this fund and just know that it's possible and your commitment to shifting your investing practices can totally change your investment portfolio. And it's powerful. I think it's a powerful shift for people that have inherited wealth to change their investing practices to be thinking about reparations and intergenerational healing and to move into integrity. It's been a very healing process for me personally as an investor. Absolutely. And I can just share one last thing. There's a quote by Dr. Vandana Shiva, who's a physicist and the founder of Navdanya, which is a land-based interdisciplinary project in India that does work with seed sovereignty. It's really incredible. And she says, it's not an investment if it's destroying the planet. And we can think about that uh, not only as like the land or the ecosystems, but also the people, all of us who live off of it. And I love that Gayatri brought up risk because I think if we think, um, and I love also that Milvian said um, that in Mayan culture, the future has already happened. So it helps us think back to our ancestors and what they've been through or harm that they may have caused and then also think forward into future generations. And one study I just saw said that since 1998, the planet has been heating Each year has been the warmest year on record and it's making life unlivable in so many places and we do have agency in this and in the current system money still does have have capacity to make change and so we can question what is actually our biggest risk is it what's in our bank account at the end of the day or is it our very survivance and I know that might sound incredibly bleak but it's also kind of a reality check. Thank you, compañeras, for being on this show together. And to close today, I think I just want to emphasize how important it is for those of you listening to this show to consider the points of view being shared today and to note that these are points of view coming from different people, right? From grassroots organizations, from investors, and the points of view around what it can mean to shift investment and economy for all of us. Because each of us has a different perspective that's very important to bring to the table here, and we need to learn from one another. And actually, it is only when we are uniting and coming together across these differences 
that we can all contribute our perspective and our contribution into a collective response that will enable us to overcome these tremendous challenges that are facing all of us right now as a planet and as a global community. And in particular, I want to say to indigenous people around the world that this is such an important time for us to come together and join these conversations and to contribute the elements that we have from each of our own cultures that has enabled us to survive and live until now in spite of everything. Because these are teachings that are really important to bring to the table right now at this time on earth for everyone. So I just want to lift up the, the importance of this opportunity to come together and unify our voices and thinking. And to me, this is what is so special about Buen Vivir Fund, because it enables us to come together across differences and to each bring our, our unique contributions as we weave a way forward and out of these these problems and toward the future that we all care about. Because even though we're coming from different places, we all fundamentally care about the same thing, which is, after all, Buen Vivir for all of us. So beautiful. Thank you. Joanna, did you have any last thing you wanted to say? Nope. <laughs> she said that. it all. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So thank you. Thank you sincerely, all of you, for being here and for having the courage to have these conversations and bringing your expertise and your communities to the table. It's so important. And for listeners, you can find resources at kpfaapprentice.org and at weriseproduction.com. We'll have links to different things that we mentioned in these organizations. And also, you can just go to thousandcurrents.org slash buenvivirfund. B-U-E-N-V-I-V-I-R-F-U-N-D. But again, we'll have that on our website. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Gracias. So that does indeed bring us to the end of our show tonight. Once again, huge thank you to my guests for the hour, Joanna Levitsea, Miliana Spuak, Nina Sol Robinson, Gatri Shiva, and Kate Poole. All links will be available on kpfaapprentice.org and also you can find us at weriseproduction.com. The executive producer for Full Circle is Miss M. Technical director is Frank Sterling. Joy Moore is our production consultant. Once again, I've been your host, Kat Petru. Thanks to First Voice for all of the tech assistance and production support. And thank you for joining us tonight. Stay tuned, La Onda Bajita is next. Thanks so much for listening to We Rise. As you know, we're just getting started and we'd love to hear from you. Check us out on iTunes, on Spotify, leave us a review, send us an email, weriseproducers at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram at weriseproduction and Twitter at weriseproducers. Please be safe and love hard. <laughs>